In the past few weeks, we have just been stunned as a church family and across this part of Southern California, even across the nation, uh, by the news of the suicide of a young pastor in Chino Hills and the suicides of six students in the Rancho Cucamonga School District. And so even though we were going to start with a new series today, uh, we just, the pastors, we kind of met and prayed about this and just decided we should push off the start. I'll start that next Sunday instead of today. Uh, so that today we could uh, spend today talking about hope for anxiety and depression. And it's also appropriate because today is the beginning of the National Suicide Prevention Week. And so it's kind of appropriate that we start talking, we start this week's talking on this subject. Now this is a huge and a complex issue. Uh, so today all we're hoping to do is to just start a conversation on it. Uh, by doing three things. First of all, I want to share some biblical principles. Uh, secondly, I want us to watch a couple of stories of people who have struggled in this area, like the one we just saw. And then thirdly, I'm going to finish by interviewing a couple of counselors uh, from our church family, uh, because they're real experts in this area. Uh, and then, as you can see in your study outline there, we're going to go into greater depth on Sunday night, September 23rd, two weeks from tonight, at 6 p.m. in the B building. We're going to dig deeper on this and spend more time on it and really encourage you to plan on coming to that and bringing a friend as well. Uh, but before we jump in, um, let's pray together. Lord, I pray this for every Sunday, but I'm particularly praying it for today. Uh, there is so much pain and hurt and struggle associated with this subject uh, within the room, and then people that we love outside of the room. And, and, and Lord, I just want to pray that anything that is not from you that I share uh, in my weakness, um, in my lack of insight, anything that's not from you, people will forget by the time they get to their uh, life group uh, later on uh, after this service or before they get to their car in the parking lot, I pray that they will forget that. But anything that is of you, Lord, we pray that we, starting with myself, will take it to heart, anything that is truly of you, and you'll show us how we can hang on just for today and make some action step today, do something today, or look at something differently today uh, that will help us uh, to proceed in our healing in this uh, very, very difficult area. And we pray this together as a church family, and we pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Now, I would call anxiety and depression uh, the silent epidemic. Research shows that anxiety is the leading mental health issue for Americans. At 14% of the population struggle with anxiety issues. Uh, substance abuse is second at 12% and depression is a close third at 10%. But here's the really staggering uh, piece of research. 51% of people in America uh, will have a diagnosable psychiatric disorder sometime during their lifetime. 51%, over half. Uh, and so it really is an, an epidemic in our culture and society today. It's an epidemic in, in the church. Um, the definition of depression is a psychiatric disorder characterized by an inability to concentrate, insomnia, loss of appetite, anhedonia. This means the inability to, to enjoy things, to enjoy pleasure from things, uh, feelings of extreme sadness, guilt, helplessness, hopelessness, and thoughts of death. 
And then the, the definition, the anxiety disorders have these three components uh, connected with them. Number one is extreme fear and dread, even when there's no real danger. Number two is emotional distress that interferes with daily life. And number three is a tendency to avoid situations that bring on anxiety. Now, you ask yourself the question, uh, am I struggling with this? Or uh, do one of my friends or family members struggling with it? Well, the diagnostic tool that di clinicians use is called SIGECAPS, S-I-G-E-C-A-P-S. S is for sadness and sleep sadness, an overwhelming sense of sadness that lasts for extended periods of time. Uh, sleep, too little sleep or too much sleep. I is for interest, a loss of interest in the things that you used to enjoy. Um, G is for guilt, is where we ruminate about our failures, character flaws, and disappointments. Um, we would say things like, uh, if only I had done this, or I wish I had done that. E is for energy, a loss of energy and unexplained pains uh, throughout our body. A C is for concentration, a loss of memory, the inability to focus our thoughts. We can't focus our thoughts, extended daydreaming. A is for appetite. Uh, some people eat more when they're depressed or anxious. Uh, some eat less. The key is that there's a change in our normal pattern. Uh, P is for psychomotor abnormalities, uh, where uh, things like a slowed down movement, or the opposite of that, where there's extreme pacing. And then S is for suicidal. There are 40,000 suicides in America every year. It is now past auto accidents as the number one cause of injury death in the United States today is, is from suicide. Now, what are the causes for it? Well, there are many, and this is probably only a partial list, but a loss, like somebody you love died or you lose your job, uh, an illness uh, or post-operative after a major surgery or postpartum after the birth of a child, a feeling of hopelessness, like there's just no hope in my situation, shame, not that you did something bad, but that you are bad. I mean, we all feel bad and shame when we do something bad, but this goes beyond it to, no, it's not just what I do is bad, but I am a bad person. Uh, S for success. Uh, we have increased anxiety, sometimes with a promotion at work or some new opportunity or success. We kind of think, you know, am I, or we're fearful. Can I handle this? Uh, divorce, uh, negative thought patterns, hormonal issues, uh, chronic illness and pain, uh, genetics and brain chemistry, uh, family history plays a real part in this. Have other people in your family uh, suffered uh, from this? Uh, and then that closely connected with that is family of origin issues. Uh, children that live in chaotic environments during early development as children often experience depression later in their lives. Another one is diet. Uh, then there's uh, added a couple of these uh, to the list uh, later. Traumatic brain injury. Um, we're finding out now that sometimes people go through depression and the, and the doctor will say, did you ever hit your head really hard? Did you ever have traumatic brain injury? And you'll think, no. And then you'll go back. Well, yeah, there was that time as a kid when this happened. Or now we're discovering that about things like football and other sports as well. Now, the, I want to hold off on this next one because I hesitated putting it on uh, because it used to be, Christians, this is only, this is the only cause of depression that, that we would talk about. And the whole point of this message is, is, is that that is not true. Um, and yet, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's not, let me phrase this very carefully, um, it is sometimes a factor, but not always a factor. 
and that is spiritual issues. Um, things like alienation from God, or disobedience, or sin. Now, in the past, Christians have focused just on the spiritual, uh, and that's wrong. But on the other hand, it, it is sometimes a factor, and so we don't want to throw out, like I said, the baby with the bathwater. We don't want to throw that out uh, completely, because it can be a factor. It's not the only factor, but it can be a factor. Now, the main point of what I want to share is that, is that mental illness and, and, and things like depression and, and anxiety disorders, they're like any other illness. I love the balance in James chapter 5, verse, uh, starting in verse 13. Uh, James writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now let's just hold that there for a moment. Uh, some Bible scholars believe that anointing with oil is symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit. But other Bible scholars believe that that was one of the medical procedures of that day in which James wrote this. And so basically here, what they would say, James is saying, get pray and get the best medical treatment you can. Do the both together. Don't just get medical treatment and don't pray. But on the other hand, don't just pray about it and not get psychological help or medication or medical procedure and seek the advice and counsel of a doctor. And this is, even if that, this particular passage doesn't prove that, it's consistent throughout Scripture, that is the attitude of Scripture. I mean, Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. And so the Bible always talks about get the best medical care you can, whether it's psychological or other forms of medicine, and, and then pray about it. And those are a great combination. So if you have diabetes, pray about it, but get insulin. Okay, If you're struggling with depression, pray about it, but raise your serotonin level you know, or whatever other medication your psychiatrist uh, prescribes uh, for it. I am a big believer uh, in psychology, counseling, medication, and prayer. I think those are four gifts to followers of Christ. They are four gifts from God, psychology, counseling, medication, and prayer. Amy Simpson writes, mental illnesses are real treatable, and manageable conditions caused by genetic, biological, or environmental factors, or some combination of the three. To withhold or discourage medical and psychological intervention is as cruel as to deny treatment for a broken arm or a case of diabetes. I find it baffling that people who believe other physical ailments should be treated only with faith and prayer are considered cultists or heretics. But such a perspective on mental illness is accepted within mainstream Christianity. I was in an event this past Wednesday with Dr. Mark Laberton, who's the president of Fuller Seminary, and he was telling the story of Fuller School of Psychology. And by the way, this is another blessing of Fuller moving here in the next three years. Uh, they are like the pioneers in this whole area of, of faith and also getting counseling and psychological help. They, they were on the cutting edge of that way before anybody else was. And they are going to move the Fuller School of Psychology right here in our backyard across the street in Pomona. And he says they're going to op open up a clinic, and so their students will be giving counseling, and so that'll be at a much less cost than normally a counselor costs. They're going to open up a clinic here. We're going to have all the resources of the Fuller School of Psychology. It, it's just, just going to be an awesome blessing. And Dr. Laberton told the story of how Fuller became pioneers in this. He told the story why. 
How many of you are from the Pacific Northwest? Do we have anybody here from the Pacific Northwest? Well, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, you know there are two families that are almost like royalty in the Pacific Southwest. One is the Boeing family for Boeing Airlines out of Seattle, the airline company that builds most of our jets. And the other one is the Weyerhaeuser Lumber Company. And they own like huge parts of the Pacific Northwest, all these vast um, uh, lumber lands and timber lands. I mean, they are almost as big as Payne and Gunderson Lumber Company, which most of my dad's company. That, that's a lie. It's a little dinky thing compared to Weyerhaeuser. But the Weyerhaeuser Lumber Company was just, just humongous. And the, the, the Weyerhaeuser family were followers of Christ. And they financially helped to start Fuller Seminary. And particularly, they additionally helped, beyond starting Fuller Seminary as a seminary, they also helped to start the Fuller School of Psychology. And he explained why. The wife of the founder of, of Weyerhaeuser Lumber Company uh, struggled with depression. And, and this was like 50 years ago, and she was a follower of Christ, but she, she struggled in that way. And she sought out a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. She sought out me, the help of medicine and psychology, and it completely changed her life. Now, 50 years ago, people didn't talk about this. And so, but, but instead of like going back underground again and, and back in secret again, she shouted it from the rooftops. She told anybody that would listen, this is fabulous. You should get help like I got help. And so the Weyerhaeuser Lumber Company, they helped fund the start of Fuller School of Theolo Psychology, uh, School of Psychology about 50 years ago, and that's where it came from. Um, you go on in, in, in James here. Uh, he says, um, and, uh, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If, if they've sinned, if, if spiritual things are a part of it, uh, they'll be forgiven. Then verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this is a wonderful thing, an advantage we have as, as we follow Christ, is that our church has so many small groups. And it is in these small groups, rooted groups, are starting this week. I would urge you, there is pro probably no place where this happens. I'll give you one exception to this. Rooted is where you get together with a group of people. And I'm not saying, don't be afraid of it, like people are going to make you share more than you want to. But it is a place, uh, back to that verse in James once again, rooted groups are a place. And you can go right out to the table in the lobby and be a part of a rooted group. It's a place where you can confess your sins, but along with that, your struggles. I think this carries with it not only your sins, but the struggles in your life, like anxiety and depression. And, and, and we are open. We, we come, out, come out of secret in this. And we share them with each other. And then we pray for each other. And it is a tremendous force for healing. Now, the one thing I would say that rivals rooted or goes beyond rooted is celebrate recovery. I'm telling you, Tuesday night, celebrate recovery. And, and for those of you that are students, the landing which is our Celebrate Recovery for high school students. The landing and Celebrate Recovery rooted in any of our life groups. I know many of you are going to a life group after this is over, right here on campus. Any place where we can get uh, out of rows and into circles, where we can share with each other, confess our struggles to each other, pray for each other, and that's where the healing can come. So the main point of what I'm sharing here is that followers of Christ are equally vulnerable uh, to struggles with depression. Uh, Non-Christians get diabetes. Christ followers get diabetes. Non-Christ followers get cancer. Followers of Christ get cancer. 
And non-followers of Christ struggle with depression, and followers of Christ can struggle with depression. Now, the one that's particularly in the news right now because of this young pastor that I want to make is that pastors are also equally vulnerable. This has been the the really difficult, stunning part from this. Here's a a picture of Pastor Drew and his wife uh, from Inland Hills Church right here in Chino Hills uh, that took his life just a few weeks ago here. I just had the funeral services on the campus of Cal Baptist yesterday. And here's why the suicide of a young pastor, or a pastor, uh, here's why it hits so hard. Uh, somebody who struggles with depression in our church family uh, said this this past week to one of our pastors uh, here at our church. If a man of God, a pastor, has no hope, how can we have hope? If a man of God, a pastor, has no hope, how can we have hope? Well, here's what I want to share with you. Despite our position of leadership in the church, We're still human. Pastors are still human. Uh, Pastors get diabetes like other people get diabetes. Pastors get cancer like other people get cancer. And pastors struggle with depression like everyone uh, can struggle with depression. Now let me start by saying the reason this whole suicide has made national news is because it is so rare. But pastors can get depressed and suicidal like anyone else. There might even be more reason for it. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? Even more reason for it. Well, because of spiritual warfare. Uh, There might even be more reason for it. I'm telling you, I I followed Jesus from high school on. And I was like an on-fire follower of Jesus in public high school. I was known as the Jesus freak at school, okay? And, and, And never had an encounter with Satan. I served God with all my heart in in college and in seminary. Never had an encounter with Satan. But I had been a pastor only a few weeks when one night, on a Saturday night, I was finishing up my sermon at the church. It was late on a Saturday night. And I'm in my office, and all of a sudden, I sense the presence of Satan right there in my office. Never had experienced that before. And hairs went up my back of my hand. I'm just like, oh my goodness, he's here. And I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, should I stand here and, and fight this, stand up to this, or may I leave? <laughs> and he said, you can leave. So I'm like, yes. <laughs> Ran out of there as fast as I could. So I get, I get to my house that night, and, and I'm like, oh, Glenn, your mind was just playing tricks on you. Our church was this older, gothic kind of church, and you're in a church by yourself of that older nature. Late at night, you can think a lot of things. So I said, ah, it's all in your head. Till I went to there next morning, on Sunday morning, no sign of break-in, none at all. I unlocked the door to my office, look in. And these huge boards that had held up the shelves for my books were strewn across the desk of where I'd been sitting. And books were thrown across my, my office. And I said, oh my goodness, he's sending a warning shot. He's saying, don't mess with me. And I was like, I wouldn't think of it. <laughs> but I have a friend named Jesus. And he is going to kick your behind, I'm telling you. you know. Now, there's, there's a lot of bravado in that statement, but I'm telling you, he does hit back, and he hits back hard. And if you look through the history of, of, the, Christ, of the church, of Christianity, uh, some of the greatest 
followers of Christ have struggled in the area of depression. Martin Luther is perhaps the greatest leader the church has ever known. Terrible struggles with depression. Charles Spurgeon is perhaps the greatest preacher that ever lived. Uh, he would be in debilitating depression, in bed for a week at a time, crawl out of bed on Sunday morning, preach the greatest sermons the world has ever known, and go back to bed for the remainder of the week. Uh, Mother Teresa, the greatest servant of Christ, tremendous struggles with depression. Moses, in, in Numbers uh, chapter 11, uh, Moses struggled with depression. Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, I have, um, I have probably preached on Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. I probably preached on that more than any other passage that I've preached on. I wrote a, a chapter in my book, Biblical Antidotes to Life's Toxins. I wrote a chapter in my first book on depression based on 1 Kings chapter 19. And Pastor Drew over at Inland Hills, he preached from that passage two weeks before he took his life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 uh, we always ask, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Everybody wants to know. He talks about this, this struggle he had, this thorn in the flesh. And I'll tell you, when, I get to, when we get to heaven, it will not surprise me one bit if we find out that thorn in the flesh was depression. That would not surprise me at all. Now, I look back on my sermon notes uh, for the last few year, years, and I, I preach on either depression or anxiety about every once every two to three years, every couple of years or so. But, you know, we talked as a church a lot more about depression, a lot more when Garrett Gilliland was one of our pastors. How many of you remember Pastor Garrett? He was our young adult pastor, and he was so loved here, and he was very open about his struggle with depression, very open about it. And he, and he used to share about it almost every time that he preached. He, he would share about that. I think we talked about it even more back then. Now, uh, before we begin to wrap things up, at least for this part of it, um, I want to read you an article that somebody sent me this past week. And, and uh, I, I hesitate to share it because I'm not reading it for myself. I want you to know that I'm not reading this for myself. But I, I want to read it to you for the sake of our other pastors on staff here who I think are more on the front lines of dealing with situations. I'm a little bit protected back from, back from the front lines a bit. And I certainly want to share it for about pastors of small churches. If you, if you are visiting and you're a pastor of a small, you go to attend a smaller church. Or, or if you have friends that attend a smaller church, I think this is something you may want to share with them. It's entitled, Suicide, Depression, and Pastors, One Way That Church Members Can Help. Uh, Tom Rayner is a very famous writer, and he wrote this this past week. The suicide death of a young pastor is being felt throughout the world. Andrew Stuckland, lead pastor of Inland Hills Church in California, left behind his wife Kayla and three young sons. I am the father of three sons. I cannot look at a photo of the young family without getting tears in my eyes. Please hear me well. This post is not about suicide prevention. More able persons have certainly written volumes on the subject. It is not about the Stuckland family, though their story prompted this post. I'm writing this article because I want to have a frank conversation with congregational members around the world. I want you to hear me clearly. I want to offer one way that you can help. Most pastors are not suicidal, but most pastors do struggle. They lead churches in a culture that is not friendly to their calling. Three-fourths of them lead churches that are struggling by almost any measure or metric. 
Many pastors are on the precipice of quitting, and most church members have no idea of their inner turmoil. In the midst of these cultural and congregational challenges, these pastors see a decided shift among the members. Their commitment level is low, and their frequency of attendance is decreasing. Many of the members are in the congregation to get their personal preferences fulfilled. And if you mess with their preferred worship style, order of worship, time of worship, color of carpet, or any facet of the church facility, they will let you know. Their Trinitarian priority is me, myself, and I. These pastors have been stabbed in the front by church members and stabbed in the back by other staff. They love their church members, but they are deeply hurt when that love is returned with cynicism, criticism, and apathy. Here's one way you can help. Yet these pastors tell us the greatest pain is not the criticism and cynicism by some of the members. The greatest pain is when the, quote, good members remain silent when they do nothing to come to the aid and defense of their pastors. The good members don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to incur the wrath of the pastor attackers. They think they are maintaining unity. Instead, they are tearing down their pastor with their malignant silence. Their efforts to maintain peace sow the greatest seeds of destruction. The one thing you can do as a church member is to stand up for your pastor in the midst of the ongoing and vociferous criticism. Speak up, don't shut up. Let the ill-contending critics and cynics know you support your pastor, you love your pastor, and you are there for your pastor. I know pastors aren't perfect. There's no need to comment to me about that obvious reality. But in the labor pool of church members, we have an overflow of critics and an acute shortage of courageous encouragers. Your pastor can withstand the barbs and insults and tepid commitment of most church members. That is the world pastors have sadly come to expect. But your pastors can only withstand them if they know they have some vocal and visible advocates and encouragers. Please stand up. Please speak up. It may be the single greatest difference maker in your pastor's ministry. And now as we begin to wrap up uh, my part of it, hope for today. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, let's, let's skip to verse 34. He says in verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so he encourages us, just hang in there one day at a time. If you struggle with a depression and anxiety. One day at a time, Jesus said. He'll give you grace one day at a time. Dr. Mike Marino wrote a book, Freedom from Anxiety and Depression, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And here's what he said. First of all, just do what's in front of you. Just, just do what's in front of you that particular day. Number two, remind yourself that this is temporary. Anxiety and depression cycle up and down. Uh, your thoughts lie. You don't have to believe them. Seek the accurate thought. Uh, connect with as many safe, healthy people as possible. Don't isolate yourself. And continue to exercise and, and move and, and pray. And we have our prayer room open today. And if anybody here would be encouraged by that, it's right to my left on the main floor to, to your right. And we have people that would just love to pray with you if that would be an encouragement. And then what not to do. He says, what not to do if you're struggling in this area? Don't bury your head in the computer or phone. Don't bury your head in the TV. Don't make big decisions while you're depressed. And don't trust your judgment during times of depression. And then hope for tomorrow. 
2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. And here's something I believe. I, I personally believe that um, um, those of you that are struggling in this area, there is great reward in heaven for you. Uh, I don't think that the rewards of heaven are just based on how effective we are uh, for the cause of Christ, how faithful we are. I think it's how faithful we are and how effective we are in spite of the challenges we've had in our life. If you are faithful to Christ, if you are effective for him in spite of a difficult childhood, in spite of a different upbringing, if you are faithful to Christ in spite of a physical disability, or in spite of a, of, of, a, of a struggle in one of these areas like anxiety and depression, you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran well in spite of those things. And I think the greatest reward of heaven is going to be for those that were effective for Christ, who were faithful to Christ in spite of struggles like depression and anxiety. And then there's that great hope uh, that it's not always going to be like this. Heard a loud voice uh, from heaven saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Next verse. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or depression or anxiety for the old order of things has passed away and all God's family said. Amen. We have a couple of counselors from our church family here that I want to introduce you to. This is Karen Dunnitz. Uh, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She and her husband Dave are former missionaries to France, and she has her own practice at downtown Glendora. And this is Dr. Amber Blues, and she is a clinical psychologist uh, at a group practice in Claremont. And so would you welcome them as they share with us here as we finish off. So I'm going to ask each of you a question. Amber, uh, how can Christians help reduce the stigma around mental health? Yeah, okay. Um, so we're going to talk about how Christians can reduce the stigma around mental health in three ways. Um, first, in how we think about mental health, and then how we talk about mental health, and also how we respond to those in our lives who are struggling with mental health issues. So in first part, um, in talking about mental health, I'm thinking about mental health as similar to other health issues. Um, uh, I'm actually a Fuller grad, so we, we are trained from this idea of a biopsychosocial spiritual model, um, which um, is this conceptualization of mental illness um, as something that's not someone's fault. So we'll say depression is a no-fault illness. Um, and this is the idea that no one chooses to have mental health problems. No one, you know, by choice wants to suffer with anxiety or depression or whatever it may be. And just like someone who's been diagnosed with heart failure or cancer, it's not something that someone chooses for themselves, but it's something that they're struggling with. So really in kind of equating how we talk about illness. Um, and that, of course, affects how we think about mental illness. Um, if we're talking about it in that way, then we also... Um, sorry, if we're thinking about it in that way, then we're also talking about it in the way that kind of gives it validity. And so instead of um, thinking of depression or anxiety or medication or therapy as sort of dirty words, um, we're able to kind of normalize that language and um, share it with others. 
Um, and that comes to the third point, which is how we respond to those in our lives struggling with mental illness and how um, people have come into my office and told me, you know, I, I shared it with a Christian friend or a family member um, and shared my um, struggle, and it was kind of received in a way that, uh, or the person responded in a way that kind of sounded almost like, you know, are you strong enough in your faith, or have you been prayerful enough, or kind of almost put the onus back on that person struggling, um, that they should somehow kind of be able to buck up and and not have the illness. Um, and it's interesting to think about and how we compare that to how we talk about someone who shared with us that they had cancer. You know, I think our response would probably be something like, I'm so sorry, um, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And um, our response should be similar to someone who's sharing that they have this struggle. Uh, I'm so sorry, um, maybe how can I help? Or even if, you know, it feels like too much to take on, how can I help you get the help that you need? And so it's really this um, response that's based in empathy and understanding um, and compassion for that person who's, who's um, struggling with mental health. Wow. Great. Thank you so much. Karen, what are some steps that people can take if they are struggling with, uh, with depression and anxiety and uh, possibly even having suicidal thoughts? All right. Well, the first step is that if you're struggling with this stuff, you should share your struggles with other people, your friends, your family members, and your pastors, so they can help you get through this time. This is not the time to be alone, so don't try to just push through it on your own. By sharing this stuff um, with others, you allow this stuff that's dark to come to the light, and that's a very good thing. The more you expose these thoughts to the light, the less control they will have over you. So don't try to deal with this stuff alone. Be sure to share it with others. Um, and step two would be seek out a licensed counselor or therapist. They've been trained to listen carefully, to ask questions, and to recognize certain warning signs. They can help you identify um, your negative patterns of thinking and help you get unstuck from these ways of thinking. But choosing the right person is important. Um, if your faith in Christ matters to you, be sure to find one who's able to integrate solid biblical truths with counseling, one who really knows the Bible. This is vital. Be sure to interview counselors on the phone first to ask how they normally integrate faith with therapy before setting up an appointment. And by the end of the phone call, you should have a good idea of their knowledge of God's word and their view of biblical truths. And then the third step is to recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on. Whether you realize it or not, you have an enemy who works nonstop to deceive you from believing what is true. Jesus referred to him as the deceiver, the father of lies, and said there is no truth in him. Satan, Satan is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's intent on stealing your joy and your peace. And honestly, so often he's successful because we don't even recognize what he's doing until we're in a bad place. And once he's been successful in stealing your joy and peace, he will be ruthless in attempting to steal your hope. He will chip away at it little by little. So we need to be aware of the way he operates. He's the accuser. He will whisper lies to us and about us. He doesn't play fair. He twists the truth. So recognize that you have an enemy who's always prowling around like a lion, looking to see whom he may devour and be on your guard. And the fourth step is to recognize that this battle is, going, is primarily going on in your mind, in your thought life. 
When you're depressed, you see everything through a negative filter. Something happens, you have negative thought about it because you interpret that event in a negative way. Negative emotions follow, and this leads to certain behaviors, such as withdrawing to be alone. So it's important to trace those negative emotions back to the negative thoughts and analyze the thoughts to see if they're really true or not. Most of the time, they're not. A therapist can help you to test those thoughts rather than blindly accepting them as true. Is there any real evidence for the thought being true, or are you going more by your feelings? Has Satan been whispering lies to you, such as you can't do this, you don't have what it takes, you don't measure up, don't even try, it's hopeless? Do you tell yourself those things? We need to be aware of the battle going on in the mind so we can challenge those thoughts, refute what has no basis in reality, and start telling ourselves the truth instead. And as Christians, we recognize that God's word is truth, so we need to ground ourselves in God's word. The, the fourth step, oh, I'm sorry, the fifth step and last step is to equip yourself uh, for battle by getting deeply and firmly rooted in Christ. Join a small group Bible study if you're not already in one and join together with other believers to gain strength. Expect to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. So get the help you need. Analyze those thoughts, those negative thoughts. Refute the lies you've been telling yourself. Take those thoughts captive and start renewing your mind with the truths found in Scripture. Take your focus off of your problems and put it on the Lord. He's bigger than your problems, and he wants to help you gain a new perspective on them. He will be faithful to help you through them if you choose to trust him and don't give way to fear. Exercising faith and trust in Christ is part of the daily battle. So lift your eyes off of the problems and up onto the Lord and equip yourself for battle with the protective armor of Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God daily. Use the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and pray at all times. Wow, you guys. Thank you guys very much. My goodness. And let me just share... People like this are available. We have a list here at the church if you're kind of looking where to start from. And uh, I, I, I know Karen's on the list. Tamika, would you make sure Amber's on the list? Okay. And, uh, and, and, there are, and, and we can give you guidance as a church family. We can even help somewhat in limited way financially to get started on it if that would be helpful to you because we want to do everything we can. And we're going to continue this conversation, go deeper with it uh, two weeks from tonight over in the B building. Um, our, we've really just, boy, we've just hit the, the, the very surface, I know, of so many things. But we hope this just gets the conversation going within the church. And we are so, so grateful for the two of you. You really are. Uh, I say this to every Christian counselor, and I'm not saying this just because I'm in front of everybody. You guys are on the front lines. We appreciate what you do so much, and we're really, really grateful uh, for your ministry. Could you all stand up, and let's give a standing ovation to uh, uh, Karen and Amber, and we are very, very, very grateful uh, to them. All right. Um,
Remain standing, and Tamiko, will you close us in prayer? Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm sure, like me, you're so grateful to Pastor Glenn and his leadership for not being silent on this issue. And, um, and you can be proud of your church that you're a part of, that we don't want this to be something that we're afraid to talk about in the church. We want this to be a safe place where we can have these conversations. And as Pastor Glenn mentioned at the beginning of the message, that was this is the beginning of the conversation. So... Um, if you are experiencing anxiety or depression or know someone who is or it affects uh, your work and that you're an educator or a therapist or um, in the medical field, please um, come to the event we're having two weeks from tonight on September 23rd. Um, and if you would like prayer today, um, whether it's for this or anything in your life, um, our prayer team is open. Our prayer room is open and our team would love to pray with you. Um, so let's just bow, bow our heads as we finish this morning. God, we, um, I think about the, the, the psalm, um, Psalm 23, that we're probably, many of us, so familiar with, um, written by King David, that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that I will fear no evil, that you are with me. So, Lord, we know that even in the midst where the, we are experiencing anxiety or depression, or we know someone who is, in the midst of any sort of fear or anxiety, that you are with us, that there is hope in you, Jesus, um, through through your word, through working with a counselor, through prayer, so many tools that you have given us, Lord. You, We have hope in you, Jesus. And so I thank you that today that we've seen that and we're beginning to talk about that here. Be with us. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.